Okay, Ephesians chapter 5 then. We're going to read from verses 1 to 21. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. But it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. But it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing, make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that that passage has another verse on it, and you might be thinking, why aren't we doing that as well? Because we'll do that in the next section, okay? So submit to one another, reverence to Christ we'll actually deal with, although it's kind of connected with this passage as well. So we are called to live a life of love. Amen? Just say with me, I want to live a life of love. Good. That's all you need to know. (laughs) So how do you do that, though? It's easy, isn't it? One of those, the, those, that word love, it's easy to say. It's harder to kind of work out. How do we live a life of love? And what Paul has done, like he's done in all his epistles, he's kind of laid a theological foundation for us. He's told us how wonderful Jesus is, what he's done on the cross, how he has brought peace between us and God and peace between uh, Jew and Gentile and by implication between everybody So we are a peace-loving people, we love Jesus, we have our hearts set on him, we have our hearts set on unity. Yep, turn to the person next to you and say, I love this unity. I love being one with you. Don't worry if it's not your husband or wife, you know. That's a different kind of unity, we'll get to that later. But actually, it's tricky to love somebody else when you don't love yourself, isn't it? You can try it. It's not impossible, but it's 
quite difficult if you have a view of yourself which isn't the Bible's view of yourself. And I guess in the last 20 or 25 years, or, or perhaps longer than that actually, there's been a kind of evangelical tradition that you don't think about yourself. Don't think about yourself, you'll get selfish. Don't love yourself, because, you know, loving yourself, surely that can't be right. And yet scripture again and again tells you what God thinks about you, doesn't it? And actually God loves you. Is it okay to love the things that God loves? So follow the logic, it's not difficult, is it? So it must be possible to love yourself genuinely, wholeheartedly and fully. You can put your hand on your heart and say, I love myself. But why should you love yourself? Well, partly because God loves you and my implication is saying that. But this passage is rich with stuff about you, isn't it? Whether you've looked at it before or now. Just put up the next list, can we, Phil? He's having a break at the back there. Now now it's ignoring me. Oh, no, it's not Phil. It's um, Patrick. Oh, we have got the list. Oh, great. Sorry. <laughs> there I am looking at those two, having a natter at the back there. You with us, guys? Jane, uh, Patrick, sorry. This is you. You are loved by God. You are full of his life. You are holy. Paul talks about God's holy people. You are royal. Where did he get that from? Well, because you're in a kingdom. Right, and there's a reference there to the king, actually the, you know, not getting into the kingdom. If you are in a kingdom, you are a royal member of that kingdom. And I love royalty, so we're going to chuck it in anyway. It's not the best exposition, but it's there. You are, now here's an interesting one, you are light. Did you spot that? Verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. It's not just that the Light of the Lord shines on you and somehow you reflect it. You are light. This is not a comment about your diet or your weight. You are light. You shine in the darkness. Jesus said it to you, didn't he? He said, you are the light of the world. You are switched on. You are beaming out. Your life is a light. That's... You didn't have to do anything to earn this. You don't have to have had a good day or done lots of good things. You just are light. It's who you are. It's in your nature. It's your character. It's inescapable. Jesus Christ is in you. You are light. Say with me, I am light. (laughs) You are in Christ. And those first four chapters have really been persuading us about that. One of the miracles of the Christian faith is you're born again and you're brought into Christ. And he is in you. You are goodness. Goodness me, am I? Yes, you are. You are righteous. You are truth. You are wise. Paul talks about being wise here. The implication is, therefore, you can be wise. You have wisdom on tap from God. Whenever you ask for it, you'll receive it. Whenever you want it, you'll receive it. Folks, you are wise. You may not have a piece of paper or a qualification to write home about. You are wise. You may never have been to university. You are wise. You may have flunked out at 14, if you could do that. That's if you're old enough to do that. 
I wasn't. I could have left at 15, but decided to stay on to 16. And after that, everybody, uh, yeah, and so on. Right? But it doesn't matter how long your education is, or how short it is, or how good it was, or how bad it was. Whether you bunked off from school every second week or whatever. You are wise. Woo! Come on. Yes. You have God's mortarboard on your head. You have a gown. You have been to the university of Jesus. You live in the university of Jesus. Jesus is the most intelligent man who ever lived. Well, he wasn't a professor, and he didn't have this, and he didn't have that. No. But he knows everything. (laughs) He made everything. He understands everything. Whatever the latest invention we have in the next few years or even the next few months, the way our technology is going, it probably will be somebody, somebody somewhere in the world is inventing something for something, aren't they? Jesus knew it already. Jesus had it covered. Jesus gave it. He imparted that wisdom. Whether somebody's a Christian or not, that, that wisdom comes from God because all things come from him. We can live, the more we live in the church, the more we think sacred and secular, don't we? And it's somehow the evil world out there is, yes, it's certainly evil. Paul talks about that in this passage. But, you know, it's God's world. We have a big God and a small devil. It's God's world. It's not his. They're God ideas, not human, well, you understand what I mean, not human ideas. They came from God. Even if they were cooked up by human beings. Whatever that invention is, whatever that is. God is wise and you have wisdom residing in you. Makes you wise, doesn't it? Say to yourself, I am wise. I am so wise. I can tap into all the wisdom of God. That's a paraphrase of James 1 verse 5. If you lack wisdom, ask for it. Anybody lack wisdom? Not anymore. <laughs> I'm wise. <laughs> well, keep asking, because sometimes you feel like you don't have it. Don't you? you are spiritual. You are full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you're amazing, aren't you? You are amazing, and you are powerful. Look at what you do. In verse 8, it says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord's. Live as children of the light. Uh, skip. Uh, let, well, we'll read the paragraph. For the, the, the brackets parenthesis, that's the right word, isn't it? For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light, who's the light? You are. (laughs) I nearly nearly told you off for saying Jesus. You know, they told, <laughs> the preacher this morning told us off for saying Jesus. You are the light. Yes, he is in you and doesn't make Jesus any less the light. But you are the light. I have this on Jesus' authority. This is not Webster lunacy. This is not something I cooked up because I thought it would sound good. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the light. You are the light that's exposing darkness wherever you go. 
You are powerful people. Why? Because you are the light and you have the light in the world in you, but you are the light as well. Don't ask me how that, that works, but it works, doesn't it? I can remember the first time in the staff room when I was a teacher and people stopped swearing because I was sitting in the staff room. <laughs> it's not because I'm any, you know, in a sense, well, I was going to say it's not because I'm a great Christian. I am a great Christian. Every Christian's a great Christian. We don't know the half of the impact we're having, do we? You don't. But you just, that's why, the reason you don't know half of what's happening, that's why you need to know that you are the light. Because whatever happens around you, you're still that light. You are exposing darkness. Wherever you go, you go your, your light is on. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. So don't hide that light. Let it shine. Just be yourself. We just put the declarations up, Patrick, the next slide, I think. Yeah. Would you like to stand? We normally do this at the end, but I thought we'd put it in the middle. It is still the middle, isn't it? Let's hope so. Oh, yes. This is you. You ready for this? Why do we make declarations? Because preachers at the front ask us to. No? Quickly scan over these. For declarations really to mean something, they have to be declarations of faith, don't they? That's why I'm asking you to quickly scan over them. And just ask yourself, do I believe this about myself? Everybody generally happy? If there's only a few of you unhappy, we're still going to do it. <laughs> okay, let's do this together. I am so, so dearly loved by God. I am holy, a wonderful saint. I enjoy an abundant life. I am a royal son of the kingdom of God. I am light destroying the darkness, shifting atmospheres. I am in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I bear the fruit of goodness, righteousness and truth in my life. I am wise, taking every opportunity, knowing God's will. I am being filled all the time with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. You can sit down. So how do we live a life of love? Well, love who you are. Okay? That was the first point. Second point. We get the next one up. Love sex. Where did that come? Where was that in the... Verse 3. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or any greed and so on. Now when, he, when Paul says, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, he's not saying we shouldn't talk about it. There just shouldn't be a, a hint of sexual immorality. Right? The, word, the, word, the Greek word behind that is pornea, where we get our terms like pornography from. And it covers every sexual sin. So there should not even be a hint of sexual sin amongst us. The problem is that in the church, what that can lead to is we don't really talk about it very much. 
So when we encounter problems and difficulties in the whole sexual area, it's all a bit embarrassing. So one of my goals this morning is to kind of open up the discussion a bit more. Right? Now, some of you, this will be old hat. You think, well, I'm always talking about it. Well, <coughs> or at least it's always on my mind. And I'd always like to be talking about it. But there are some kind of underlying things that we need to re- either remind ourselves, or if this is kind of new to you, or, you know, the la- can you remember the last time you had a talk on sex in church? It's probably quite a long time ago. And uh, or maybe it wasn't, depending on what church you go to. But... Um, it's important for us just to have some kind of foundations around this area, but also to equip you to live this life of love. So first off, sorry, I'm not very clever. I should have the little clipper. I'm working on the technology. So you've got all the points you can see ahead of me and uh, snooze off if you need to. Uh, sex is good. It's very good, isn't it? God made it. You know, again, the problem is that the world thinks the church says sex. No, we're not going there. We don't believe in it. You know, we keep that under wraps. While the world, of course, is just enjoying as much in all sorts of different ways as as it possibly can. And the old Victorian Christian church dare not even talk about it and seems to kind of just restrict it to marriage. And isn't that just old-fashioned? Folks, we need to redeem this area both in our own lives and in our conversation in the life of the church. God invented it. I don't know what was going through his mind at the time. So I want people to procreate. How should we do that? And make it pleasurable at the same time. Anyway, that's God. It's beyond our understanding and it's a great mystery. But it's good. Men and women... A man shall leave, as Genesis says, a man shall leave his mother and father and become one flesh with his wife. One flesh. A unity that's both physical, emotional, and spiritual. It's a unity. It's a picture, actually, of God and his church, as we'll find out later, but we won't stop on that one. So sex is good. It's very good. But, folks, there is life without it. Too right. Uh, There is life without it. Why am I saying that? Well, I've been married now 37 years to my dear wife. So I'm not highly qualified to talk about the single life. But he that lives in me is. He that lives in me never had sex. Did Jesus live the fullest life he possibly could? Yes. He is the one that gave us abundant life. He promised it and then released it by his Holy Spirit. He knew how to live life, didn't he? But he was single. All of his earthly life. I experienced that up to the age of 23. I might well experience it later on. Don't go there. (laughs) But you can live in in our, how can you put it, in our sex-soaked society, because sex just gets used for everything, doesn't it? advertising, you know, kind of, so much so it's in in our language, you know, something to be good has to be sexy. Even government documents get sexed up. I mean, what is that all about? You can all remember that time, Tony Blair and what was his press secretary, you know, remember all that, yeah? I mean, this is crazy, isn't it? 
what have we done with this concept? It's kind of, it's almost like somebody poured this, you know, sex over society and covered everything with it. But, and so it's, it, it gets harder and harder actually to do the kind of thing that we're doing, which is saying sex actually is the reserve of marriage. And folks, if you don't get married, you're going to live a single life without it, but you can live a fulfilling life without sex. Come on. That is a radical message now, isn't it? That is a radical message. That is something we can live out, uh, you know, in front of the world. That's part of the light that shines in the darkness. Just doing that. Be a lover. Now, this could be about the husband and wife relationship, but what I mean in here is be a lover. Everybody, married or unmarried, be a lover. C.S. Lewis was one of those, in his great book, The Four Loves, talked about the need for husbands and wives to be able to love something else. Otherwise, although important as it is for husbands and wives to love one another, there's always something missing. We were made to be lovers of God. And one of our struggles in the whole area of sexual immorality is that we are searching for something that is only really obtainable in intimacy with God. The kind of intimacy that people want by having sex outside of marriage is the kind of intimacy actually God is offering them. And it's amazing, it's interesting, isn't it, that in these days we have rediscovered what it means to be intimate with God. So that our Christian life isn't just work, 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 work. But it's love, 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 love. We've discovered how to fall in love. I mean, we use kind of sexual language to describe it. Actually, that's not sexual language. That's the Bible's language. We fall in love with God. We have an intimacy with him that actually we need. And one of the reasons why people fall into through lust, into sexual immorality, is not so much perhaps that they're ignoring their partner, although they may be doing that, or looking at somebody else's partner and desiring them, although they may be doing that as well, but actually they are ignoring their intimacy with God. You see, you do have that God-shaped hole that you need to keep filling. You do need to walk in intimacy and find fulfillment in a love relationship with God. Folks, if you cannot say, I am so in love with Jesus, then press in until you can. (laughs) I am so passionate about my relationship with God. Press in until you can. If you're new to our church, you think, what are those people doing laughing and falling over? And you don't have to laugh and fall over. But you do need to find a passion in your relationship with Jesus. You need something that takes your breath away, something that you yearn for, something that when it's not there, you miss it. (laughs) Some of us have a relationship with God, and, you know, if we went five months, we might not miss it. Well, gosh, folks, if you go a couple of days and are missing, not missing your relationship with a passionate lover called Jesus, then something is missing. Mike Bickle wrote that book, didn't he? Passion for Jesus. I recommend it if you want to, you know, I, I'd always been taught the Song of Solomon, and in fact I'd accepted, not just been taught, I'd accepted the Song of Solomon, which is a passionate love relationship described for us in sort of graphic terms, graphic, erotic, sexual terms. I'd elevated that to, the, to a spiritual relationship with God and his church, and it can mean that. 
but completely missed. And, and then I'd start to use the Song of Solomon in my worship with God, and it was weird. It's so graphic, Lord. How can I, you know, how can I? And I realized I hadn't got that passionate relationship with God that actually the Song of Solomon was describing. And I prayed and I meditated and I pressed in. I used to do this for a couple of hours, just going through the Song of Solomon until I began to feel like I'd had this, or I had this passionate relationship with God. I recommend it to you. So marriage is the best place. Why is it the best place? Why does the world think that we're being restrictive? Well, the world doesn't realize that to preserve something that's precious, you need boundaries. And actually, sex is in, mar- in, uh, in marriage for a very good reason. Because that's the best place for it to be. That's the most long-lasting relationship you can have. That's where you develop trust. That's where you develop loyalty. That's where you put round a boundary of friendship and companionship where the sexual relationship is flourishing. And you know, folks, there's so much hype in the world about the enjoyment of sex outside of marriage that we could almost be convinced that they had it right. Almost. And the way we get convinced that they're wrong and the Bible is right is actually discovering what that is within the boundary, the wonderful boundary, the releasing, the freedom of marriage. It's not a restriction. Like anything from God, it just opens up something to be even better and better as you go on. So marriage is best. Sex is relational. Check this out later. We haven't got time to stop and and look at it. But 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. If you want the Bible on sex, then just look look at those two passages. They are amazing. Confusing, but amazing. Confusing sometimes. You'll need to get a commentary out and really look into it and, and check it out. But one of the things Paul says is this. He says, if you join yourself to a prostitute, then you become one flesh with them. Hang on a minute. I thought that one flesh was about marriage, yeah? Well, Paul is saying... If you join yourself to, with a prostitute, if, you, if you're into some form of sexual, sexual immorality, you are joining yourself. You're putting yourself in that one flesh place. So you're doing what you should only do in marriage. And if you do something outside of God's will and God's plan, it's going to be harmful. And what a lot of people don't realize, whether you're young or old, is that... Is that temptation, that one-off sexual encounter maybe, whatever it is, is harmful. It's going to damage you and it's going to damage other people. That's why adultery is so damaging, isn't it? That's, you see, you are not your own. You've been bought at a price. You have become part of Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And when Paul wants to say, don't do that, he doesn't say, just say, don't do that. He says, why would you do that? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you. You should have, therefore, this passionate relationship with him that soaks up all that energy that otherwise you might try and pump out somewhere else. 
You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, Paul doesn't give any other reason other than that. He doesn't need any other reason than that. Don't go and join yourself to other people. Keep your sexual relationship, you know, for marriage and in marriage. Because you are, that's who you are. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit and you do things God's way. And you have the blessing of that because you do it God's way. Now, folks, if you're sitting there thinking, I have messed up in this area... Well, most people have. And it doesn't matter how often you mess up in this area, you can be forgiven. You see, if Paul says you join yourself to a prostitute, that's going to get, you know, that's, you make yourself one flesh. And so if you tear yourself away, you're going to get ripped up. He's just saying it's powerful, folks, so use it carefully. It's powerful and it's damaging. But God's forgiveness and healing is more powerful and more healing. And if you have been involved in sexual sin either recently or in the past and you're still suffering from some of those wounds, then get healed. I'm not trying to make it simply simple. I'm not saying it's not a process. I'm not saying how many sozos you might need. All right? But please, forgiveness and wholeness can be restored. You can be forgiven. If the Bible is true, which we believe it is, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin, including sexual sin. But because sexual sin can be so damaging, you need to hear that. You need to hear that. Sexual sin, it's not who you are. So the next time you get tempted to, however you get tempted, just say to yourself, that's not me. I'm acting out of character. I am all those things we looked at earlier. I am holy. I am royal. I am the light. I am in Christ. I am goodness. I am righteousness. I am truth. I am wise. I am spiritual. I am powerful. I'm not going to give in. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit within you to be able to do that. Amen? Let me just read you, uh, actually, there was a joke I was going to read. Did you, can you indulge me for a moment while I read you this? Just to lighten things a little bit, because you're feeling there any, any heaviness. <clears throat> the, oh, it's only 12 o'clock, we've got loads of on. The minister was passing a group of young teenagers sitting on the church lawn and stopped to ask what they were doing. Nothing much, pastor, replied one lad. We're just seeing who can tell the biggest lie about their sex life. Boys, 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 he intoned. I am shocked. Why? When, was, when I was your age, I never even thought about sex at all. They all replied pretty much in unison, you win, pastor. In case that was making it too light, let's end with a little bit, not end, but uh, this section. Timothy Keller, The Meaning of Marriage, says this about the glory of sex. Sex is glorious. We would know that even if we didn't have the Bible. (laughs) I like that. It's very honest. Seek. Seek. Sex leads us to words of adoration. It literally evokes shouts of joy and praise. Through the Bible, we know why this is true. John 17 tells us that, From all eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been adoring 
and glorifying each other, living in high devotion to each other, pouring love and joy into one another's hearts continually. Sex between a man and a woman points to the love between the father and the son. It's a reflection of the joyous self-giving and pleasure of love within the very life of the triune God. Sex is glorious not only because it reflects the joy of the Trinity, but also because it points to the eternal delight of soul that we will have in heaven, in our loving relationships with God and one another. Romans 7 verse 1 tells us that best marriages are pointers to the deep, infinitely fulfilling and final union we have with Christ in love. No wonder, as some have said, that sex between a man and a woman can be a sort of embodied, out-of-body experience. It's the most ecstatic, breathtaking, daring, scarcely-to-be-imagined look at the glory that is our future. Amen. <laughs> Just to explain to people who are listening to this on the tape, the audience were muted there. I'm not sure why, because we were <laughs> describing the glories of heaven. Their mind was obviously somewhere else. No. But dear listener, I'm sure yours isn't. <laughs> okay. Pardon? You were just reflecting. Amen. <laughs> Have you ever wondered why Jesus said, you know, in the, when he was confronting the Sadducees, you know, there'd be no giving in marriage in heaven? I remember reading that verse thinking, oh dear. No marriage in heaven. But I like being married. <laughs> I enjoy being married. I enjoy every aspect of being married, Lord. And you just said, there's no marriage in heaven. Why? Because there's actually something better. <laughs> can you believe that? Well, you know, we can believe that, can't we? And so the marriage relationship becomes this glorious picture of what you are waiting for. What you are expecting, what Jesus is bringing back to you, this passionate, glorious relationship you're going to have with the Father, with the Son, for eternity. It's going to be amazing. Amen? Good. Last two points. We need to love who we are. We need to love sex in the right context. And we need to love Thanksgiving. So Paul here talks about, you know... Sorry, this is his gear change, not mine. We need to love Thanksgiving. He talks about greed. How do you measure greed? I don't know. Greed isn't measured by how much money you have, but the hold that money or possessions have on you. Or, of course, it could be people. Greed can come in all sorts of manifestations. Folks, we are people of the Holy Spirit. We are not people of greed. We are not people who delight in coarse joking or obscenity, or bad language. Our language matters, doesn't it? Our language matters. And I don't have any guidelines for you. I can't tell you the words that you can and cannot use. Often they're culturally determined in any way, aren't they? I would never use the word knackered at one time. Because it seemed to refer to something then other than it refers to now. Now it's just a way of saying you're tired. When I was a boy, when I was a boy, that was a, it meant something else. Language changes, doesn't it? And we kind of have to, to some extent, adapt to that. 
But within our community, what would be regarded as bad language? Let's just remember that. And that's one of our guides. The other guide we've got, whether it comes to greed or speech, the things you can't really define, Paul really helps us by saying, well, find out what pleases the Lord. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, I was using that word the other day. What do you think about it? You're wise, remember? You can figure it out. (laughs) God may say that to you. You're wise. You figure it out. What we mustn't do is to get into rules and, you know, well, there are some words that you can use. There are different contexts in which we use language, aren't there? And we just need to be, you know, uh, guided by the Holy Spirit about how we use that. And then lastly, we're loving ourselves or loving who we are. We're loving sex. We're loving Thanksgiving. Sorry, I haven't talked about Thanksgiving. Paul emphasizes Thanksgiving. Actually, when you think about it, why even be, why have the debate about what you should and shouldn't say? Why don't you just be positive? Let's be positive. That's why we have a culture of the good news here. We love being positive. We're so positive, people wonder why we can't be something else sometimes. <laughs> yeah? Isn't it great to be positive? Isn't it great to be thankful? And actually, Scripture underlines that for us. So, I just forgot that. Love Thanksgiving. And lastly, love the Spirit. Love the Spirit. Be wise about alcohol. Here's another area where you can't have rules, can you? Or not easily defined rules of any, any sort. Paul says... You know, don't get drunk with on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. We don't have any rule in this church about whether you drink alcohol or not. We're free to drink it, and we're free not to drink it. Each of us probably gets drunk, if we ever get drunk, in different ways. Each of us has a different capacity, uh, you know, t- uh, uh, an amount of alcohol that we could, uh, can take before we start losing it. So nobody, folks, is going to give you any rules or regulations about it because it's very hard and impossible and we wouldn't want to do it anyway. All you've got is this instruction. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when we lapse into drunkenness, it's because we've really forgotten that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, if we're really honest. We might be depressed. We might be going through some sort of trauma. And we think that alcohol is the kind of resort... And there is a danger in that. and We need to be aware of it. All through this passage, actually, Paul is totally positive about who we are, but also totally realistic about the world that's around us. And yes, we do believe in a big God, and we're not afraid of the enemy, but folks, there are, we do live, as Paul says, in evil times. The tragedy when Christians go wrong reminds us that that's true. Where we've come from, we have come from darkness, where we were under God's wrath, where we did the deeds of, 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 uh, of darkness. But now we have been transformed and translated into the kingdom of light. We are indeed light. And so we have no truck with the darkness. That's who you are. Live according to your character and be filled with the Holy Spirit. We love the presence of God. If you want to learn, live a life of love, love his presence. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 5, verse 18. Be being filled. It's a continuous thing. Keep seeking out. You know, you know that little group of people that stand in the corner and pray before the service? Just go and drink with them. I did that this morning. 
Had a quick draft. It's glorious. You can do it on your own. You can do it anywhere because the presence of God is with you all the time, isn't it? The Message Bible, and we'll close with this, says, Drink the Spirit of God, huge drafts of him. Huge drafts of him. Amen? So go and live a life of love.